Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Kona Shame Show. Guys, I have a great conversation for you today. The one and only Dr. Marie Holloway Chuck is here. She is a boarded critical care, uh, emergency critical care specialist and a recovered burnout and uh, people-pleasing perfectionist. You got to hear this. Uh, we are talking about one of her articles that came out recently that was wildly popular. That is so awesome. Stop being a martyr and start modeling healthy behaviors. Here we go. Let's get into this. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. We are supported by PSI Vet. Guys, if you know anything about me, you know that I care about our support staff. I want them to have good jobs. I want them to make good income. And I believe that they need health care. Everybody should have some health care coverage. If you're at a practice that struggles to provide this for your team, I urge you take a look at the PSI Healthcare Initiative that came out uh, earlier this year. You can learn all about it at PSIHealthCareInitiative.com or check out our bonus podcast episode from a couple weeks ago. PSIHealthCareInitiative.com. Hello, Dr. Marie Holloway, Chuck. Thank you for coming on and talking with me. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy our conversations. We have, uh, we have been, uh, we've been talking for a couple of years now. I'm trying to remember. We met at, um, was it New York Vet in New York yeah. City? Yeah, yeah, that's where it is. New York Vet. I remember I was hanging out with you, and you were like this famous celebrity. We couldn't <laughs> talk for more than two minutes before somebody was like, can I have your autograph? Can I take my picture with you? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that was, yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. Oh, <laughs> But yeah, that was awesome. But we got, uh, I remember we got to uh, go out and talk about life, and you have a million things going on. I am fascinated with you. I uh, I love what you do, and I'm such a big fan of you and your career, and you are growing and doing more and more things. And uh, so let's talk about the things that you do. You are an emergency critical care veterinarian. You do wellness retreats, uh, which I think are awesome in beautiful parts of Canada. You uh, you are writing at uh, MarieHollowayChuck.com. You write a, you write a lot of wellness stuff, and I just love the emergency critical care with resilience and wellness and wellness retreats and all those things put together. Uh, you are um, you are just doing a lot of great stuff, and I am such a fan of yours, and I'm glad that you're here. Oh well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. I appreciate oh. that. Well, thanks for saying so. Let's talk about one of your recent articles that I like a lot. And so you have a piece that's out, and I'll link to it in the description, but it's called Stop Being a Martyr and Start Modeling Healthy Behaviors. Uh, and this is from uh, late last year, but I think it's more uh, pertinent now than ever before. So what do you what do you mean when you say stop being a martyr? Like, where, well, I think I know what you mean, but where, where, does that, where does that come from? Let's unpack that. Absolutely. You know, I'm so glad you asked because this is a is a big passion of mine to talk about martyrdom versus modeling good behavior. You know, I think we have it so entrenched, especially in the emergency and critical care world, but certainly amongst all veterinarians, whereby, you know, it's like, who's got it worse? You know, mm -hmm. well, I worked 14 hours yesterday and this is my fifth shift in a row. And somebody says, well, that's nothing. I didn't even go home last night. I slept in the clinic. 
And, you know, and then it's just like we're we're having these um, comparisons whereby it's glorifying this unhealthy behavior. And um, this is not sustainable behavior. It's not it's like I said, it's not promoting our health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And so my plea and the reason I wrote the blog was to get people out of that mentality. That's actually not a good thing, you know. you know, it might seem like, yeah, you, you, you won that battle and, and, and maybe you, you did have it worse, but is that really what we're striving for when we know the profession is struggling? How about we actually have comparisons about who got on time, who left work on time for how many days in a row, or who actually took an hour long lunch break or who finished their medical records before their shift was over or, you know, things like that. And it's almost like we're embarrassed to talk about when we leave work on time or we, you know, don't check work email on the weekends, you know? Um, I I think that there's, um, there's a couple types of martyrdom that I've seen that pop out. So one is what, what you're talking about, which is the, I work more than you. I get less sleep than you. The mm-hmm. other one that I see that um, is usually from, it's from a different crowd, but it's the, I give more to my patients and pet owners uh, than anyone else to the point that I suffer. You know what I mean? Like I, I have, you know, I haven't taken home a paycheck in nine months and you know what I mean? And I I can't, I can't take a vacation because I just, I am too important to the shelter community, you know, and things like that. Or all of my clients have my personal cell phone because I would just never not be available if anybody needed me. Yes. Right. And and I don't, I don't have a problem with people who say, I want to give out my personal cell phone. That's your choice. But the martyrdom is. I wish they didn't have it. And it makes me so miserable to be contacted all the time, but I can't not give it out. That's, that's, I hear that. And that drives me up the wall. You know what I mean? And like, it's, we, we tell, I mean, there's this idea that that stuff is virtuous and it's just not, it's just not healthy. It's not good. It's not virtuous. Well, I think we need to be really mindful when we're giving things out to people, whether it's our time, our energy, our money, our personal cell phone, what the intention is behind it. Because if the intention is to get something in return or because we feel obligated or because we're people pleasing or because we're fearful, our clients, you know, won't appreciate us or won't come back to us if we don't do that, then that's that's ultimately going to result in resentment and burnout versus if we're doing it because we genuinely, you know, feel the need to, you know, be there and we're giving it with our whole heart and, and, you know, it just, I, I have a hard time believing that it's, you know, still okay. But, you know, I I do think that there are some people that are out there who can, um, you know, find a way to still um, maintain some boundaries, even if they do, you know, ease, you know, their relationships Mm -hmm. with other people in other ways, but just being really mindful of that, because otherwise we're giving all of the power over to the client. You know, we're saying things like, you know, I had to do that, or, you know, the client, you know, insisted or whatever it is. Well, then you're basically putting your whole life at the whim of your client and their needs versus listening to what your needs are. And ultimately you're going to get, find yourself depleted in the end. You're not going to have anything left to give. So 
I, well, I want to unpack that because that's you kind of blew my mind there for a second of really thinking about why you're making this decision. And uh, people pleasing is a big one for me. Mm. You know, that that is one that I've had to kind of wrestle with in my career is I, I want to make people happy, yeah. you know, and, and I don't like the idea of people not liking me, you know, like that's <laughs> that's that's a deep thing for me. And mm-hmm. so that type of people pleasing, um, you know, when I caught that in myself and said, oh, I'm going to feel a compulsion to do what I'm asked to do because I want to make people happy. Once I identified that as the reason, then it just helped me kind of go, oh, wait, you know, I'm going to catch myself and I'm going to really evaluate this. I also love the, the, the thing that you said of like, we as veterinarians, um, we shouldn't, and technicians, we should never do anything because we think it's going to come back to us later. Like, that's just something I've come to believe in life is do something, help someone because you want to help them, not because you think this is going to come back because it just, sometimes it does, but a lot of times it, ju- it doesn't. And, mm-hmm. you know, you should do it because you want to do it. You know, there's a, um, there's a little, little old lady who lives alone up the road from me and she has a little dog and she has my cell phone number. And if she calls me, I'm going, you know, but, but that's not, that's not the standard client. That is someone that I said, I like this lady. She's, she's wonderful. And she putters around her yard with her little buddy and, um, and I'm her neighbor and I will, I will do this, but that, but there's other neighbors that don't have my relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Be be intentional about what you do. I, I think is is really the takeaway. But it's not because I want something or because I'm worried about her going yeah. somewhere else. It's because I chose yeah. to do this thing. I think fear is a big motivator too. The, these people are going to go huge. somewhere else. It's huge, absolutely fear. And I, you know what you mentioned before about um, you know it, it's it's funny because you had a blog on your your website some time ago, and um, I actually linked to it in my programs when I talk to people about people pleasing, um, and it was about codependency and mm-hmm. how we have this culture of codependency in the veterinary profession, whereby we need to feel needed. Mm-hmm. You know? So we need that. You know, well, I need my clients to need to call me and I I need to feel like I have to stay two hours past the end of my shift because that's where I derive my worthiness from and that's how I know I'm doing a good job and that's why I chose this profession or whatever it is um but again it's it's that what need is that what what are we serving with that and um but but fear as you said is a huge thing I think fear of uh clients not liking us even fear within the team. So fear about what are my, what are my coworkers going to think of me if I, mm-hmm. you know, finish my records and get the heck out of here to go to yoga class or whatever, mm-hmm. are, you know, are they going to look down on me or what is my boss going to think if, you know, he tries to call me on a Saturday and I don't answer my phone. Um, tremendous fear around the clients, the team members, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and then that can bleed into our personal lives as well. So why do you think that we often feel the need to be needed? Is that something uh, that you see across our profession? I mean, any idea like where that comes from? I think you're right. I just, I, I don't know why we as a group uh, are that way. Yeah, you know, I think it's not unique to veterinarians. I think that people who go into caregiving professions I think sometimes, you know, we tell ourselves, well, we just want to help other people. Um, okay. And and I think that's true for many individuals. But again, it goes back to the intention behind that. Do you want to help other people because it feels good to feel needed by somebody else? Or do you just really want to give to other people 
really expecting nothing in return because you, you know, you like animals and you like humans and whatever, whatever it might be. Um, I think there are a lot of um, unhealthy caregiving professionals who really have this desire to, um, yeah, to just really feel needed in return. And and I'm not saying it affects everybody in the profession, Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. I think there's a lot of technicians and certainly a lot of veterinarians out there who, it, again, it just fuels this martyrdom mentality like, oh, I was here all weekend with this client and I'd given them my cell phone and this, that and the other. And well, all all you needed to do was say no, because yeah. there's always another veterinarian available. That's why we have ER clinics. That's why we have referral hospitals. So to tell yourself there was simply no other way is just not true. So mm-hmm. ultimately then that says to me that that you're somehow you're getting a need met by being that person for that individual, um, even though you know you say that you had no other choice. The the way that I've come around to like escaping guilt from saying no, I'm not gonna be there. I I'm a big believer that you can't feed from an empty pantry and you can't pour from an empty cup. And um, I'll, I'll often say to, um, especially at, gra- at vet schools, if I speak there, I'll say, I don't want you to be successful and happy in your first year of practice. I want you to be successful and happy for as long as you want to practice. And that means saying no. Yes. You know, this is this is a marathon. I want you to be here and to help pets and help people yes. for 30, 35 years if that's what you want. And yeah. you coming out and giving all of yourself for 12 years and then burning out and just, and not doing this, you know, anymore that I would say in the long term, the net good that you did wasn't as good as it could have been. Had you said no, been happier, taken better care of yourself. I mean, that's, that's kind of my philosophy. How do you, how do you feel about that? I think it's beautiful. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that unhealthy boundaries and inability to say no are the foundational tools that are lacking, or I should say that they're the problems that so many of us are experiencing that are what ultimately lead to burnout and lead people to leave this profession. And people turn around and, and, you know, forgive me for those who are listening and, and, you know, this is not a judgment on them or finger pointing or anything else, but you know, we have put so much blame on the clients, you know, if the clients would just not call me out of hours, and if the clients weren't so demanding, and if my team members would just step up, and if, you know, the profession just wasn't so hard, and if I would just get paid more, you know, we we point fingers at all of these things that are external to us, completely giving over our power to everything else, versus looking inside and and saying, what do I need? What are my limits? What are my deal breakers? What are my non-negotiables? And how can I set up a career that is going to serve me in this profession long-term? That probably is going to mean saying no to clients and um, asking our boss for a raise and telling our coworkers to back off when they're not treating us properly or, you know, what, whatever it is, but it all comes down to our boundaries and, Mm -hmm. and just really asserting what it is that we need to stay in this profession for, for the duration of our career versus again, just sitting around waiting for the profession to change because the profession is not going to change anytime soon. And we need to stop banking on that. Clients are just suddenly not going to change, not going to be demanding. It's up to us to let clients know 
when their behavior is not acceptable. Right. And I could give you 15 different examples of that, but I'm sure that you and all of your listeners, <laughs> they have situations that are We've coming up in their yeah. head. They yeah, know. Right. yeah. So, so let's unpack that a bit. Talk to me about what it means to model healthy behavior. Like, what do you, what do you mean when you say that at a high level? And then we'll get into some specifics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, the modeling of the healthy behavior really needs to come from the top down for starters. So, you know, when I'm speaking to all practice owners and managers, it's, I am very emphatic, you know, you have to first yourself embody self-care and boundaries and everything else. If you expect your team to be healthy and have permission to do the same because team members, you know, the last thing they want to do is leave work on time when they see that the boss is always there late. Or, you know, if the boss comes in on the weekends to check in on things, then they're going to feel obligated to do that as well. So, you know, for especially leaderships and organizations and hospitals and practices, we want to make sure that they are setting a good example for what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And with when I say what is acceptable, I mean, like, what is healthy? What gives you time and space for self-care? So, you know, that would be having some sort of separation between work and home life so that we can find maybe not every single day, but moments in our week where we actually can turn it off and not be checking work email and not be answering work phone calls and not be doing medical records or speaking to clients or that sort of thing. Um, So certainly boundaries around that. And just really, like you said, you can't pour from an empty cup. You can't give from an empty pantry. So how do you fill the pantry? How do you fill the cup? You have to be engaging in self-care. Mm-hmm. And and self-care creates necessitates time. We need time to engage in self-care. And when I talk about self-care, this is a big thing that I want to differentiate for the listeners is that self-care is not coping strategies. This is not, I come home from work, I'm so exhausted, I bring home takeout and I turn on Netflix and I pour a glass of wine and I just veg out. Like that can feel good for a short period of time, but that is not serving your health and well-being in the long mm-hmm. run. When I talk about self-care, I talk about you plan your week so that you have meals that are ready, prepared for when your days are very long, that you have trips to the gym or nobody's going to the gym right now, but you're doing workouts, you know, in the morning before you start your shift, you're doing a meditation first thing in the morning before, or you're sitting in your car before you walk into the practice and doing a little meditation or breathing exercise, then you're continuing with your um, counseling sessions with your therapist online. You know, when people think about self-care, I think they feel like these are some Mm self-indulgent fluffy things. Like I'm going to get a latte. I'm going to take a bath. I'm going to eat dessert. You know, that's not self-care. Those are, those are coping strategies. Those are nice things to do, but they are not serving your health and well-being. Self-care is intentional It's long-term and it's not always fun or easy, you know, So sometimes saying no to a client is really hard, but we say no to them knowing, you know what? I am not helping them right now. I am, I have been here 12 hours. I'm exhausted. I need to eat something. I need to get home. I need to be with my family. I need to send them somewhere else. Yeah. That is an act of self-care. Does it feel good? Does it feel comfortable? No, but Ultimately, that is going to serve us better in the long term. So that just like you said, you can be in this profession for 30 years, not three years, and then, yeah. you know, piecing out. I love the idea that self-care is intentional. I think that's such a key word for good self-care is uh, mm-hmm. it is making time. It is having a plan. It is 
looking ahead at your week and being like, well, on, uh, on Thursday I have, uh, I'm in the clinic and then the kids have, uh, you know, whatever they have at eight o'clock at night and it's going to be a tight night and we're going to go ahead and make sure we have sandwich stuff ready so that we're not, you know, eating unhealthily or, or whatever we can get in and, and get them fed in, in a way that I'm, that I'm happy about. Uh, I, I just, I, I do, I completely agree that the idea that the term self-care has this connotation of indulgence mm-hmm. around it. I think a lot of times we joke and say, oh, I'm doing some self-care as I, you know, as I drink mm-hmm. my wine, you know what I mean? And, and, and work on my suntan. And that's not, that's not bad. You know, that's not bad. Don't laugh at my suntan. Uh, <laughs> the neighbors complain, but I'm not going to stop. Uh, the <laughs> but it is, it is, it is, it's hard. It, it is, is hard. Not, it is you know, like you no, said, it's and, not. Yeah. 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 So self-care stuff. I mean, it's, it can be designated family time. Like yes. I am, I am not going to stay late with this patient because I am going to my kid's volleyball game. And yes. some people go, how could you do that? And just say they have to go to the emergency clinic. I, I, this is what uh, I need to do in order to stay in this profession and stay healthy is I need to be there for my kids. And if I can't be there for my kids, then I'm not going to be around. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm not going to, I'm not going to stick this out. And maybe that's your boundary. Maybe it's not, but um, it's not, self-care is not easy. It's not easy. And just like you said, what's, what's your boundary is not going to be my boundary. And that's why the communication piece becomes so important because I think too often we have this sense that, well, people should just know, like, why would my boss call me on Saturday? They know that I'm not working. Well, you know, maybe your boss is happy to work on Saturdays. And so he figures it's fair game to call you. If it's not fair to you, or if you don't feel that that's fair, then you need to communicate that. And again, that is your responsibility. It's too often I see the default is, well, yeah, I just had this really, you know, um, unreasonable boss. Well, he's only unreasonable or she is only unreasonable if you have not had that conversation with them to let them know. So again, um, I am all about the individual taking ownership for what's happening versus, you know, putting the blame on everybody else around them. Yeah. I think that we often feel a great pressure to disclose too much about self-care. And so, uh, we have, we have a podcast on, uh, I do an uncharted veterinary podcast is more of a business podcast. And we have an episode that's called my boss. I rolls at self-care so hard. And, (laughs) And it was from someone who wrote in and was like, my boss, just if I talk about self-care, oh, he just, he can't roll his eyes harder than that. <laughs> and and I, that was what really made me start to think and get clear ideas about, I yeah. think we talk too much about self-care yeah. as opposed to just doing it and not just not explaining it, not talking about it. I'm yeah. not available on Saturday. Beautiful. You know, I, I, I have an appointment. I didn't tell you it was an appointment to, um, you know, with my kid to, you know, Absolutely. to eat ice cream, but I, I have an appointment. I'm not available. I can't be there on Thursday night. I have a commitment and, yeah. and just say that. And it's interesting, you know, I, I am so in favor of self-care and I love it, but I have had, you know, people who work for me and, and I'll be, I'll be panicked. I'm working really hard and they're like, I can't, I have to go to yoga. And I'm like, what do you mean you have to go to yoga? Like, this is important. And so I've seen the other side as well. And the truth yeah. is, I'd rather he just go to yoga and yeah. not tell me that that's what he's sure. doing. Just, just say I, I, I will, I can get to it 
you know, after 11 a.m., but yeah. I can't before then. That's all I want to hear. Great. Well, Sam, and I can help me then. I, I think it prevents then that comparison and that judgment because I think inherently, you know, we're human beings. We are going to judge as much as, you know, most mm-hmm. of us try not to. And so we're weighing what is important to another person against what is important to us in that moment. And they're not always going to align. Right. But that's not for us to say. Once again, what another person needs and what their limits are are going to be different than our needs and our limits. Therefore, the boundaries are going to be different. And, um, you know, what they're saying no to is going to be different. And when I counsel people um, on saying no, I specifically tell them exactly what you have said. Do not overshare. Do not over disclose. You do not need to explain your entire social calendar and what you have planned and that, you know, it's your kids going through this and you need to be there for your partner who's going through that and this, that and the other, because immediately the human nature is to compare and well, gosh, that's, that's what you're missing out on work for. Come on, you know, and it's just none of their business. So part of having healthy boundaries is keeping some of that information to yourself and knowing that a simple, I don't have time. I'm not available. I can't do that right now. Um, not until whatever, um, you know, all of those things are really important. So I often tell people, you know, if you're going to say no, you can say no, but so no, but I can, you know, pop in or I can stay later today or I can come in early tomorrow. So no, mm-hmm. but, you know, and then if it's a yes, it's a yes. If I get Saturday off in lieu or yes, if I can duck out early um, to, you know, and again, you don't even need to say what it's for. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you need to put some clarifiers on it, then put some clarifiers on it. Yeah. One of the things that you do really well that I've seen people get in trouble with as far as setting boundaries is you balance um, self-care with doing what you say you're going to do. Um, and I've seen people get in, in trouble w- with that. Of They'll say um, they'll be on the on the schedule. And then on Thursday, they'll say, I, you know, what, I can't do this thing on Saturday because um, I, I need to be there for my kids play rehearsal. And I think that gets people into a lot, a lot of trouble of, um, you do need to have self-care, but if you said that you were going to work on Saturday, you should also work on Saturday. And so what my experience with you has very much been is that if you are not available for something, you just say so, and you say it up front and you say it immediately. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to make this, or I don't have time for that, but I can do this. And mm-hmm. then in my experience, every time that you said, you know what, Andy, I'll be there, I'll do this, uh, you know, I can write that, it's, it's, it's there and it's done. And so you, um, you do take time for yourself and you do have strong boundaries. And at the same time, you're very reliable. And mm-hmm. once you say you'll do it, then you're going to do it. And to me, that's that's a beautiful, um, I think it's a combination. I think it's something that we have to think about. I think a lot of times people hear the term like, oh, self-care, um, or, or I need to prioritize self-care. That means that I'm going to... Um, I'm going to just not do something that I previously said that I would do. You know what I mean? I, I guess I guess the the thing that's in my mind is I kind of decided a, a while ago, self-care doesn't happen today, usually. Mm-hmm. It happened three months ago, mm-hmm. which means three months ago was the time to say, I 
don't want to schedule or I'm not going to come to your wedding. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I love you. I'm not coming to Louisiana for your wedding, mm-hmm. you know, but now we didn't say that. And now it's the week before and you go, I just, I can't, I just can't go from work to the airport to Louisiana. And so I'm going to back out. Totally. No, I'm, I'm glad. And thank you for, for sharing that. And I'm glad that you said that. And and it's true. I think what people mistake is that when you start saying no, or you start setting boundaries is that you become this like mean person and you're just mm-hmm. shutting people out and, um, you know, you're being very difficult and, and this, that, and the other, but it's quite the opposite. Actually, right. when you have healthy boundaries, it becomes very clear to other people that when you say no, you mean no. And when you say yes, it's a wholehearted yes. Yes. And so that's what I've been very happy to hang on to is it's not always easy to say no, but I can say no, knowing that I'm going to show up with a wholehearted yes. And I'm going to be able to bring my best self into that yes situation because I've set my life up so that it is manageable. And I'm not coming into a situation feeling resentful or taken advantage of, or exhausted, or angry, or bitter, or whatever it is, because I really didn't want to say yes, I actually wanted to say no, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is where people, um, you know, it's important to really recognize that you can say no, and and be, you know, practicing self-care, and still be a very selfless person that doesn't Mm -hmm. make you selfish. You are actually doing better for the people in your life when you can have some balance and when you can show up well-rested and engaged and fully ready to be there. You know, who wants to work with somebody in the hospital who's working 10 shifts in a row, isn't getting any sleep, isn't eating properly. You know, they show up a zombie. They're not fun to be around. They're clearly struggling. Um, I would much rather that I want to walk them home and put them to bed and feed them a meal. And, you know, it's like, could you please look after yourself so that when you show up, we know that you're going to show up as the best coworker and that we can rely on you. And we're not going to be worrying about you. We're not going to be, um, we're not going to have to pick up where you're, um, you know, where you're faltering or whatever it might be. So for me, you know, boundaries, self-care, saying no, the whole gamut, for me, they're all one and the same. Um, that allows me to show up as my best person. So, Do you have advice for people who are maybe working in a culture of stress or a culture that doesn't seem to prioritize or value self-care? If you're a technician or you're an associate doctor and you look around and the other doctors are working all the time or, you know, the the culture is burn the candle at both ends. How do, what do you do about that? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a lot of a- times I feel like we, we wake up in those practices, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. one day we just realize you're like, wait a second, none yeah. of this, this is not good. And when we're all doing it. And so when you have that epiphany, where do you go? Absolutely. Well, it's a tough one because culture can be really, really hard to shift, right? Culture doesn't usually go from the bottom up. That is from you up to your boss. It comes from the top down. And so, you know, I always tell people, I get a lot of, you know, emails and and questions and queries from people, you know, how do you change your coworkers and and how do you get them to do this? And how do you get your boss to do that? And I, I kind of, you know, have to gently but firmly say, you, you, you don't like you, you can't change anybody else. Like this is we're, we're, we're human beings. An individual has to want to change. They have to be invested. They have to take ownership. They have to have awareness. 
what you have control over is, is, is you and that's it. So you can try to make adjustments in your own life um, and, and take control over what you have control over. And that might require some difficult conversations with your boss or your coworkers around what you are or are not willing to do anymore or what you need to be able to function in this work situation long term. Um, unfortunately, if that is not in alignment with culture, if you do have a boss that has a hard eye roll, you know, when you say like, I want every other weekend off or whatever it might be that you're asking for. Um, unfortunately, if we're in a situation where we have um, tried to change what we have control over and there's been resistance to that change, then we're left with the decision. Do we stay in this situation or do we go to a different situation whereby our values are going to be more in alignment with what the culture and the values of that practice are. Yeah. I feel like our profession is moving steadily more towards culture and quality of life. I mean, do you feel that way that that's becoming a bigger priority for doctors at least and also for techs? Absolutely. Yep, I do. I see a lot of new practices that are forming who are really staying within their mission statement that they are a practice for the people, Um, not the clients, for Mm. the people who work in the practice. And that just fills my heart with such joy because for all the practice owners out there, you know, you are nothing without your team. Yeah. So you, I mean, how can the team not be the, the, the most guarded resource of the practice? Um, clients are going to be happier when the team is well looked after. So let's look after the team. So, um, is it changing? Yes. Um, do we still have a ways to go in a lot of different practices? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. No, I have a friend, uh, she's a, a Canadian, she's in Ottawa, uh, Dr. Saya Clement, and she refers to, she doesn't call them clients and staff, she calls them internal clients yes. and external clients. Yes, and I'm going, man, what yeah. a great way to think about your team yeah. as internal clients. That's right. Isn't that cool? It is so cool. Great. And it's, I, I applaud her for sharing that. And I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think that's what makes her an amazing leader and an amazing practice owner is that she does value her team so wholeheartedly knowing that, yeah, the clients are important too, but guess what? The external clients are not the only clients. So good yeah. for her. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for being here and talking about this. Are there any uh, final words of wisdom or advice or parting thoughts that you'd like to leave people with? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? No, I mean, I think I think we covered a lot that is that I'm certainly really passionate about. I hope I didn't, you know, come across as as too harsh or, um, you know, uh, you know, for the people who are listening, I, you know, we're all I think we're all at a different stage in this journey um, of life, you know, and um, some of us are just at the point where we're becoming aware of our actions and the actions that maybe are serving our health and well-being and maybe those that aren't. And then some of us are already in the stages of making changes and implementing those boundaries and saying no. So wherever you are on the journey, you know, you're not, you're not doing it wrong. Um, There's just always opportunity to grow and to shift and to make those changes. So I, I urge people to do that and to focus on what you have control over and what you can change um, rather than waiting for everyone around, um, everyone else around you to change. Where, 
can people find you online or if they want to hear more from you, where do they go? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, so my website, you mentioned it already, mariehollowaychuck.com. Um, they can find me there. I've got web programs and blogs and other resources for people to use. Um, and then I'm on all the main social media channels. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, those are probably the channels that I'm most active on. And so, yeah, I would love it if people followed and said hi and asked questions and you know that's how I learn you know how to how to help is by listening to what people are struggling with and and what they need so are you um are you going to be doing any more of your virtual retreats I saw that you were talking about that a while ago yeah so I this year um and actually right at the end of last year but but this year as well I've shifted into a or I guess a virtual retreat format, like a web-based program format. So it's been amazing. I mean, I have people from Canada, the US, the UK, all over who can participate in these really immersive programs where um, we've got accountability partners, we've got a closed Facebook group, um, we have webinars every week, there's self-reflected, self-reflections and exercises and things for people to do on their own time. And then of course we come together and there's one-on-one coaching involved in that as well. So. Um, um, it's been really great for the individuals, well, especially in this day and age where travel has all but shut down, um, where people can still come together and and gain these skills, but without having to necessarily travel um, all the way to the beautiful Canadian Rocky Mountains, which hopefully yeah. someday we'll be back and we'll be I, But for now, it's, yeah, that's on hold. So I One day I want to come to the beautiful yes. Canadian Rocky Mountains and do your program. So I hope you will. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. You're a gift to veterinary medicine. We're lucky to have you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Andy. No, it's been my pleasure. And that's what we got for you today. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I hope it was a good conversation that got you thinking about taking better care of yourself and your employees or your colleagues or your friends or your parents or your pets or whoever else might need love from you. That's what I hope. Gang, if you have a moment, I would really, 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 really appreciate an honest review on iTunes of the podcast. It's how people find us. It means the world to me. So if you have a moment, there's, uh, there's, it just, it means so much. Gang, take care. Be well. Let's be the people that our pets deserve.